Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My dear brothers, my dear sisters in Christ. Are you exhausted? Has the last week been rough? Did you spend quite a bit of time, like I did, refreshing your browser, trying to see if something new was going to happen, hoping, praying that you wouldn't miss an important announcement, important decision? Have you been on the edge of your seat, biting your nails in eager anticipation of what comes next, feeling helpless, feeling powerless, at the whims of the powers that be that seem to make decisions far beyond any of our control. If that's you, or even if it's not, I'm so glad that you've joined us for this online worship video today as we look at God's last judgment, as we look ahead to that most important day because it doesn't matter who sits on the earthly thrones. It doesn't matter what human leaders we might have and what they say. There is always a higher throne. And on that throne sits the Ancient of Days, sits the Son of Man, the King of the Universe, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. There is nothing that is outside of his control. All authority has to submit to him. He is far above any ruler or power authority, and he loves you. And today, in our gospel lesson, he shares some very important words. Words of comfort. Words of challenge. Words that should set us on course for how we should live in the coming days, the next four years, and beyond. Our Lord Jesus Christ spoke these words to his disciples just three days before his sufferings. So if you're watching this on Sunday, think of this, that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was when Jesus would go to the cross. Just that short of a time, 72 hours. In 72 hours, Jesus' disciples would witness their friend and rabbi be brutally betrayed, murdered on a cross. But it wasn't brutal murder that was on the disciples' minds. No, they asked Jesus a question. And their question launches Jesus into a, long, a lengthy discussion of teaching them important things. But their question was, Lord what will be the sign? We know you're the Messiah. We know you're the King of kings and Lord of lords, even though we're kind of foggy on the details. But let us know, what will be the sign at your next coming, at the end of the age? How will we know when our earthly journey is over and when you will come and judge the living and the dead? So Jesus tells them, for quite a number of verses in Matthew's Gospel. And when Jesus answers their question, he minces no words. 
He is very frank with the disciples. He tells them about the things they are going to have to suffer. Suffer for being his disciples. Simply for sticking with the teaching that he taught and for teaching it themselves. He gets them ready. And then he describes to them what that judgment will be like with the verses that are our gospel lesson for today. It's meant to be a comfort for his disciples, but Jesus does bring up some very challenging truths. In his metaphor, see, he gives a little illustration. He's talking about the ways that shepherds separate sheep and the goats. And this is a detail that doesn't exactly trip us up. This is not the hard part, right? Shepherds would have to separate their sheep from their goats. During the day, the two animals might flock together, might graze together. But when it came time to go to bed for the sheep and the goats to go to sleep, they would separate them. And the act of separation probably wouldn't be that hard for a shepherd. I mean, you look at a sheep, you see the wool, and you know that's not a goat. They look different. They sound different. As it open up any children's book, it'll tell you that sheep go ba-ba and goats go meh-meh. The act of separation is not the tricky part. It's the how do you know if you're a sheep or a goat? What discerns the sheep from the goats? Well, as Jesus describes how that separation will take place, the type of judgment that will happen at that last day, it's all, whether in, it's all in terms of whether or not you did it. If you did it, you're a sheep. If you didn't do it, you're a goat. It's as simple as that. Did it, didn't do it. What's the it? Well, whatever the it is, it manifests itself in certain ways, right? Jesus describes it as manifesting in feeding, giving to drink, visiting, tending to the needs of who? The least of these brothers and sisters of his. Not just the people you respect the most. Not just the people in your life that you love because they do so much for you. Your family, your spouse, your kids, your friends who make you happy, who you hang out with. Not just the Matthews, the Marks, and the Lukes of the world, those people who are just good people and worthy of our esteem. But the Judases, the people who aren't even worthy of the spit that we would throw at their face. How have you treated them? The driver on the highway that cuts you off, endangering the lives of you and everyone in your car. The person who has taken to social media and is blasting everyone who believes the things that you believe, saying that you are stupid, that you are ignorant, that you're a bigot. The people with whom you completely disagree, the people who are not living moral lives, how do you treat, how do you think about, how do you speak about those people? 
because that matters. Are you doing it or are you not? My dear friends, it is actually a terrifying thought that all of our actions are under the watchful eye of the very God who will judge us on the last day. That day is coming when God will call us to carpet to account for the things that we've done. Are we appropriately in awe? I know that last weekend was Reformation Sunday. We celebrated the mantras of the Reformation, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, revealed to us in Scripture alone. But have we ever taken that mantra that we're saved by grace alone and robbed it of its beauty by using it as a cover-up for sin? What I mean is, have we ever waved the flag of grace alone while clearly living lovelessly? speaking selfishly, hating, being angry, but consoling ourselves with the fact that, oh, we're not saved by our works, so it doesn't matter how we treat our neighbor. I think Jesus would encourage us with these words from our gospel to think quite the opposite. There is no cover-up for our sin. The element of surprise. The element of surprise makes highs higher and lows even lower. A military strategist, a general, will plan an attack so that he can maintain the element of surprise for as long as possible to catch the enemy off guard and ensure the victory. You husbands, when you run out and buy your wife a a bouquet of flowers, if that's the kind of thing she likes, aren't you most excited about giving them to her when she least expects them? Or grandmas, when you're playing peekaboo with your grandson or granddaughter, you just see the giddiness in their face. They know that you're going to peek out from the doorway, but they still just don't see it coming, and it fills them with laughter and joy. The element of surprise. It only heightens the emotions of a situation, makes the highs higher, the lows even lower. Jesus is pretty clear about the last judgment. There will be an element of surprise. Not at the what, but at the why. I kind of think that the goats, those people who are destined for eternal destruction, for the people whom Christ judges, by the time they get to judgment day, they're not going to be surprised that they're goats. That's not what Jesus seems to be saying here. Because when the, when the King of kings and Lord of lords thunders down from heaven and the trumpets call, I think people are going to realize what's going on. The goats are not surprised at the fact that they are goats. 
what hits them, what shocks them, is the why. Jesus, you're saying I didn't live that good of a life? Jesus, you're saying I didn't serve my neighbor? I thought I was doing a pretty good job. And Jesus' response? Not good enough. But the sheep? Same thing. They're not really surprised at the what? Sheep are not surprised that Judgment Day is the day they get to take hold of their inheritance. But that's you and me. My brother, my sister, my fellow sheep. Don't be surprised when Jesus comes and tells you, all right, Now it's time to take that inheritance. Because it's true. You have been saved by grace alone, apart from any of the works that you have done, because Jesus went and died. If you were saved based on the things that you have done, your obedience to God, if that's what gets you into heaven, then why did Christ have to die? But no, remember that this is three days before Jesus' sufferings. Those sufferings that won for you your spot in heaven. Those sufferings that forgave your sin. Your lovelessness has been covered by Christ's loveliness. Your selfishness has been wiped away in Christ's selflessness. Your lack of service, your failure to love, failure to serve, is replaced with Christ's complete and total service of everyone, regardless of if they deserve it or not. Your sin has been washed down the drain, never to be brought up ever again in the blood of the Lamb shed for you, the price of your forgiveness. Your failures are not going to be brought up at that judgment day. My brother, my sister, my fellow sheep, do not miss that beautiful detail that Christ shared. That the inheritance that he's going to call you to take was prepared for you before the laying of the foundation of the universe. Before you were even a twinkle in your grandfather's eye, Christ knew you and loved you and forgave you. He prepared for you a place in heaven and wrote your name on it before your parents even gave you a name. God was up in heaven, looking side to side to his angels and saying, see, that's my child. Not even here yet, but I love him. I cherish her, and I've got a spot there in heaven with their name on it. That is yours. So don't be surprised. No, eagerly await and expect that Christ will call you to take hold of that inheritance on that judgment day. That's the what. But the why probably will surprise you. As Jesus calls you to himself and he says, well done. You have served well. You gave me to eat 
to drink. You visited me, you tended to my needs, and you will say, Christ, when did I ever do that to you? When did I ever serve you that way? And he'll say, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. My brother, my sister, my fellow sheep, God is watching. Maybe that's terrifying to some, but see how comforting it is for you. God has seen every time you fought temptation, every time you withheld that urge to speak a malicious word, a word of hatred or of anger, even though you knew how momentarily satisfying it would have felt. God has seen the way you have gone above and beyond to serve even those who don't deserve it. Because when Christ has washed away, wiped away all the bad in you, forgiven all the sin in you, what's left? The good. Now I know that there is nothing good that lives within me that is within my sinful nature. All the good things about me, all the good things that I do, happen because God does them. The good that is in me is there because God put it there through his Holy Spirit. So I can't really take credit for the good that God is able to accomplish through me. I can't really take credit for the service that I have done. But even though God is doing it through you, when all accounts are settled, God will credit it to you as if it were your idea, as if you were the one that did it. That power that is in you to fight temptation, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God himself fighting through you, winning through you. But God will call you and congratulate you as if you were the one that did it. So my brother and my sister, my fellow sheep, it is always worth your while to choose selflessness over selfishness. To choose love over loathing. To refuse to treat people the way they treat you. To choose service. Even when it gets you spat in the face. Regardless of, people, of whether people deserve it or not, regardless of whether human beings will see it or not, to treat even the least of these as if they were Christ himself. Because God sees. God is watching. And God is pleased. Picture this. You're a 10-year-old playing a game of or locally organized soccer, and you play your hardest, or at least what you think is your hardest, but your team loses. And even though you made a couple good plays, even though you hustled, all anyone is talking about after is the loss. You walk off the field and you see your dad. He walks you to the van, ready to take you home, and he's beaming. Grinning from ear to ear. You say, Dad, why are you smiling? We lost. He says, I know. But I saw how you played. 
I saw how you hustled, playing midfielder, running up and, and delivering that beautiful pass to the forward for a shot on goal, and how you hustled all the way back to defend again. I watched how you played. I'm proud of you. And as you kind of stand there and blush, you can sense that your dad maybe is embellishing a little bit. You see yourself as just an average player at best, but you can't help but smile too. Because your dad is so proud of you and loves you, that washes over all the mistakes of the game. My brother, my sister, my fellow sheep. You have your moments. You haven't done so hot in the fight against temptation. There are moments when your weakness is clear. But those moments are washed away in the blood of Christ. They will not be brought up again at the last judgment. No, Christ has been watching you, forgiving you, and loving you. The only thing that is going to happen is that like your dad walking you to the van, Christ will put his arm around you and walk you to your mansion in heaven saying, I saw all the good things that you did. I saw the way you loved as if you were loving me. You served as if I were that person standing in front of you. I'm proud of you, he'll say. I love you. Now, come on. Amen.